going to read a well-known biblical text today. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. If you have your Bibles, and you had better have your Bibles, either hard copy or digital, turn to Isaiah 9. This text I'm going to read is often quoted near Advent or Christmas, though it was not originally written for that, of course. Isaiah here is prophesying about how Jehovah God would defeat the Jews' enemies and cleanse their sin and exalt his people in one person, Jesus Christ. Let me read the verses, Isaiah 9, 6 and, 6 and 7. Follow along carefully. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I'm going to speak for the next couple of minutes on that last sentence. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. In particular, I'm going to stress two words. Zeal and hosts. First, a definition. Zeal is the inner propulsion, the inner propelling emotional force that drives us very often to do things. We will say of a young man, he has a great zeal for sports. Or of a young lady, she has zeal for good grades. But the Hebrew word there has another shade of meaning that's very interesting. It also means jealousy. Jealousy. Now we know what jealousy is, certainly from a human perspective, and often, though not always, sinful. Perhaps a burning over how somebody slights you uh, by not caring for you, or showing some affection to somebody else that you really like. Or maybe somebody has or owns something or does something that you don't have or own or can't do. You're often jealous. And then let's think about that word host. That actually is a word that means a great army. The hosts, hosts, translated in English, means a great army. So when we read Lord of hosts, it's referring to a commander leading a great army into battle. Now, I'd like to observe three very simple but very powerful and very profound truths this morning. First, our God is often consumed by zeal. The idea that God is always quiet and calm, sweetness and light, pleasant, sitting far, far away on his throne without emotion is a false view of God. The idea that he looks on earth from a safe distance through perhaps some sort of heavenly telescope. Pondering mildly with a sort of grandfatherly indulgence all that is going on. That idea? No. No. A thousand times no. Our God often burns with holy emotion, holy zeal, holy jealousy. 
We know this from the Word of God. In Genesis chapter 6, we read that it grieved God that he created man. It grieved him at its heart. God gets very angry, and he fumes at apostasy. On the other hand, God is pleased with uh, affection and uh, affection to him and the obedience of his people. In fact, there is a remarkable text in the Old Testament prophets which says, and it's one of the most beautiful texts in the Bible, that God sings among his people. Could you imagine that? He loves his people so much. He is so zealous for them. He sings among his people. Our God is a jealous God. Uh, that is one meaning of the Hebrew word for zeal. But we would know that from the rest of the Bible. The Bible says it plainly in the Ten Commandments and elsewhere. Our God is a jealous God. Now, our jealousy, of course, is often sinful. We don't get enough attention. We're annoyed at someone else's success. But God's jealousy is a holy jealousy, a pure jealousy, a sinless jealousy. In fact, it is appropriate for us to have a holy jealousy. A virtuous spouse should be jealous of another spouse that gives wrong attention to someone else. If I give the wrong attention to some other woman, my wife has every right to be jealous with a holy jealousy. God is a husband to his people, by the way. He was a husband to Old Testament Israel, and Christ is the husband to his church. And when they turn to the world, when our hearts turn away from him to the world, he burns with jealous zeal. Let me make this very concrete. God burns with zeal against a sinful and depraved world. He burns in zealous hatred toward the practice of abortion and the slaughter of unborn children, of the perversion of homosexuality and transgenderism. God is very angry over that. He is zealously upset over that, over the drug cartels and young people's and older people's lives that are destroyed by drug addiction, how people are enslaved by pornography, how it wreaks havoc. It wreaks havoc. God gets angry. And over wicked politicians that legislate against and deliver executive orders against the people of God so that they cannot meet and against secular and Darwinist teachers who teach false views and lead precious young minds away from creational and biblical truth of man and woman and everything man and woman created in the image of God and everything else created in six days. And against perverted entertainers that joke and make fun of purity and Christian truth. But he also burns with zeal against a cold and worldly church. A church that increasingly has tolerance for the sexual revolution and says we're not going to preach against premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, transgenderism. Those aren't gospel issues, so we're not going to touch them. He is angry over that. He is angry at churches that surrender easily 
to COVID lockdown orders. And his attitude is, why would you surrender the church of Jesus Christ? That is my church. That is not yours to surrender. That is not yours to surrender. And the prayerlessness of the church, the people of God that never seek his face, never seek his face, except perhaps at meals. God burns, and those that drift from his word. But also, praise God, he is zealous in favor of his people. In grace, he brings his people back, and he sends prophets. He sends men of God, and in some cases, women of God, to declare the truth in his grace and mercy, to bring his people back. But if people do not repent, finally he is zealous in righteous judgment. This is a topic that fills the Bible, but it is one that hardly ever fills the mouths of preachers and pulpits today. If we all week long spoke every single sermon here on judgment, we could not do it justice. The Bible again and again and again speaks about and warns about God's judgment on evil. We hear about the grace of God, and we should. God is a gracious and merciful God and forgiving God to those who repent. But to those who do not repent, they can look forward to one thing. His awesome, fearful judgment. Second, our God is a commander of a great army. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. There are two parts of his army. There are the heavenly beings. The angels, the unfallen angels, are part of his army. They protect his people. Sometimes people joke about angels. But the fact is, angels do protect the people of God. Oh, the Bible's clear about that. The king of Syria was once coming against Elisha in the Old Testament. And uh, he had a great army camped near Elisha. And Elisha had a young servant there. And the young servant was, oh, he was petrified and worried. He said, oh, no, look at all of these. We're just two little people here. We don't have any weapons. And look at this king of Syria has hundreds, I think it was thousands. And Elisha very calmly says, Lord, open his eyes. And then his eyes were open to the unseen world. And he saw multitudes of great, mighty angel warriors that were there to protect these two people. Now, do you understand we live in a very warm world and we are not the only beings living in it? Humans are not the only beings living in this world. There are other beings that are non-human living in this world. Righteous angels and unrighteous fallen angels and devils. You see, what we can see is often like the electromagnetic spectrum. How many of you here know what the electromagnetic spectrum is? You know it's a very large a number of rays, right? Well, we can only see, our eyes can only see a small portion of it. But the fact that you can't see the rest doesn't mean they're not there. They're here right now. We just can't see them. In the same way, if our eyes were opened, as one day they will be opened in the eternal state, we'll be able to see all of these beings. And then, the second part of his army is, of course, we, the saints. And we are called to fight the battle. Now, everybody here that belongs to Jesus Christ is a member, genuinely, of the commander's 
army. You are a part of the army of the Lord of hosts. Let me ask a question. How many of you here were born into and reared within a Christian family? Virtually, I think, everyone here. How many of you here have already been, whether churches disagree about baptism, whether as an infant or older, when you confessed your faith, you have been baptized? Hear me very well. You may put your hands down. That's wonderful. Hear me very well. Baptism doesn't save you, but it is a mark of the covenant. And as a mark, baptism is akin to a brand. Now, if you know anything about the U.S., and I guess this would also be true maybe out on the plains of Canada, Alberta, and elsewhere, cattle are often branded. An owner will take his or her brand and sear it into the flesh of a cow and say, oh, that's my unique brand, and that lets everybody know this one is mine. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? When you are baptized, God, through the power of his Son and Spirit, puts his brand on you and says, this one is mine. You can never be unbaptized. You can apostatize, but you can never be debaptized. You understand that? If you have been baptized with a genuine Trinitarian baptism, as I believe all of you, or virtually all of you have, you will bear that brand as long as you live, where God says, that one is mine. In other words, almost everybody here did not enlist in the Lord's army. You were drafted. God called you as a child into his army, and you may go nowhere else. He is your king, he is your commander, and you must serve him all the days of your life. Which is why Ephesians 6 speaks about the armor that we bear in fighting the battle against Satan. Our enemies are Satan and indwelling sin and a depraved world. God, therefore, and this is my final point, God himself is zealous and he requires zealous soldiers. Zealous soldiers. Now, during a battle, do you know what happens with soldiers that tend not to be zealous, but very lax, and those that hold back? They eventually get shot or captured. Because they're not driven by a zeal for the commander. And I can assure you that Christians who are not zealous, whose attitude is, well, yeah, my parents are Christians, and... Like, I have to go to church on Sundays. I'm not into it much, man. And when I get 18, I think I'm really going to reconsider this church Jesus business. But, you know, until then, I'll just kind of drift along. I can assure you that you have painted a target on your back for Satan to capture you. And the fact that you want to avoid Satan doesn't mean that Satan wants to avoid you. You might not want the culture war, but the culture war wants you. So, one way or another, you're going to have to face up to the fact that you're in a world that is a sinful world, God's good creational world, but nonetheless a world influenced by Satan and sin that wants to destroy your life. And if you're not zealous in the battle, if you're not jealous with a godly jealousy for God's honor, 
and expect to fail, and fail catastrophically in the end if you don't repent. Pose a question. How many of you are jealous for God's honor? Like Phineas. Anybody read the story of Phineas in the Old Testament? The people of God were sinning with idolatry in a terrible way, just committing whoredom. And he grabbed a sword in Old Covenant Israel and killed those who were committing these horrid sins. And God didn't say, oh, Phineas, you're like extreme. I mean, my law and my truth is important, but I mean, man, be careful. The Bible says God honored him for his righteousness, his righteous zeal. So I have a question. When you hear God's name profane, do you like get angry about that? You say, nah, not really, because I mean, it's just sort of common verbal coinage. No, you need to get angry and be jealous for the Lord's honor. I said a story the other day with a, a businessman, soon to retire, not a believer by any means. He told me one reason that he is retiring is because the world is just in such terrible shape and people won't show up to work and he can't, can't get faithful employees and the world's just going mad. And of course, I agreed with him on that. And he said, uh, what is wrong? What is wrong? And I was about to answer him. And he says, then he goes on and he says, and he said this profanely and I'm quoting him, what is wrong? Jesus Christ. And I said, that's what's wrong. This world has turned away from Jesus Christ and his authority and his word. Kind of stunned him a little. Are we in fact jealous for God's honor? I'm going to pray a prayer of dedication that we would recognize the zealous God that we serve, the God consumed with zeal against sin and consumed with love for his people, and that we ourselves would be zealous soldiers in his army. Father, I pray for this wonderful, dedicated, open group of Christian young people. Show them, O oh God, the great privilege they have, bearing as they do the mark of the covenant, the mark of baptism, your Trinitarian brand in their very flesh that can never be lost or thrown away. Lord, give them, give us an understanding of your zeal, O oh God, that you are full of righteous emotion, against evil and toward righteousness and that you're jealous over your people, jealous over your truth. And Lord, may they, as a result of being at this academy this week, be filled with zeal, ethical zeal, spiritual zeal, emotional zeal, intellectual zeal to press your truth, your worldview, your righteousness, your kingdom in the earth. I pray it, Father, and I pray it in faith, and I pray in expectation that in the next 10 to 30 years before I go home, that I will hear about many of these young people, zealous for you, leading in our culture and in church. I pray it, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior, Lord, and King. Amen.